0: This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 10:30 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. Matthew says of Christ, when he was coming to the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, which was it, from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things." On this occasion the Lord's teaching there in the temple when His enemies come, and and they make a demand of Him, By what authority doest thou these things? Who gave you this authority? And Jesus knew they weren't interested in the answer to that, so He asked them a question. He said, I'm going to ask you one thing, and if you tell me, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things was John's baptism from Heaven or of men? He asked them, a very simple question. The baptism of John, whence was it, from Heaven or of men? Now they didn't want to answer that question, because these are men that had rejected the baptism that was administered then, and, and so they didn't, want to, they didn't want to answer the question fully. And so they huddled up and, and began to murmur and reason among themselves, and finally they tell Jesus, we cannot tell. And what they meant was, we don't want to tell because we're trapped. If they admitted John's baptism was from heaven, Jesus would have said to them, then why didn't you obey it? Why weren't you baptized? And if they said John's baptism is of human origin, that it's just of men, they feared all the people out here because they thought John was a prophet. So they just wouldn't answer. And Jesus then refused to tell them the authority by which he spoke because they really weren't interested in that. Christ spoke with authority from Heaven just like John's baptism. I read this verse because I want you to notice that baptism even in the day when Jesus and John the Baptist was on the earth was a very controversial subject. I want you to look again there on the back at Luke 7 verse 29 and 30. This puts it even more plainly. Luke says, "...and all the people that heard Him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John." But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of Him. Those then that submitted to John's baptism are said to justify God, that is, declare God righteous. And those that rejected this baptism are said to reject the counsel of God against themselves. Notice the controversy regarding baptism. You had people that would submit to it, and you had people that wouldn't. Today we still have a controversy about baptism. I don't know why, but we still do. And if you were to ask me this morning, Pat what is one of the most controversial Bible subjects you can think of, baptism would be near the top of my answer, if not the top. Because I really can't think of any subject that's been discussed, and debated, and fussed over, and argued over, and studied more than the simple doctrine of baptism. And there's really no need for all this study No need for all this debate and confusion because what the Bible teaches about baptism is very simple. This morning we are going to raise several questions about baptism. We are going to answer these from the Bible. And when we have done that I hope that we will have a very interesting and profitable study for all of us. That there are things that we will glean about this subject and be able to share with others about it because there is still a lot of confusion about it. The first question I want to ask, you see there at the top left, and that's this question, what is the action of baptism? And by the word action I mean, is baptism administered by sprinkling of water, by pouring of water, or by immersion in water? And so I put a little diagram there for you that you can look at, and, and let's just notice now what the Bible requires. Is the action sprinkling, pouring, or immersion? It cannot be all three. Which one is it? The first thing I want you to notice is that in baptism, the Bible requires the use of water. We read there in Acts 8 and verse 36, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Water is the element. And so, according to the Bible, baptism requires water. Now, when you sprinkle, you use water, so it meets that requirement. The same with pouring and the same with immersion. So, so thus far we haven't really determined anything. All three of these actions use water, don't they? Next the Bible tells us about baptism that it requires much water, much water. John 3.23, notice. The Bible says of John the Baptist, And John also was baptizing at Anon, near to Salim, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. Now, if anybody should know how to baptize, wouldn't it be John the Baptist? The Bible tells us there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And so God sent John the Baptist to baptize. If anyone knows how to baptize, it'll be John the Baptist. After all, Baptist is his occupation. The word Baptist means immersionist. He is John the Immersionist or John the Immerser. It's not his proper name, it's his occupation. We might say Joe the Mechanic or Mike the Carpenter. This is John the Baptist. Because God sent him to preach a baptism of repentance for remission of sins. And notice that John chose this spot at Anon near to Salim. Why? Because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. Now when you sprinkle it doesn't take much water. And when you pour water on someone it takes very little. But when you immerse you have to submerge a person. And so it takes much water, and immersion is the, only, is the only action that will fit that requirement in the Bible of much water. The next thing that I notice in the Bible is the Bible requires in baptism a going into the water, a going into the water. This is Acts 8 and verse 38. This is Philip and the eunuch, the Ethiopian man. And uh, we read there in Acts 8 and 38, He commanded the chariot to stand still, And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him." In baptism there is a going into the water. Did you notice? They went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, when you sprinkle water you don't go into the water. In fact, the water is brought out to the candidate and sprinkled over them. See, there is no going into the water. The water is actually brought to the person. When you pour, And this won't hurt the carpet here I hope. When you pour, you pour the water, you bring the water to the person and pour it over them. But when you immerse there is a going into the water. You actually go to where the water is and go into the water which is what we saw here in Acts 8. He commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and He baptized him. Immersion is the only thing that fits, that has a going into the water. There is no going into the water in sprinkling or pouring. Next in Romans 6 and verse 4, notice that in baptism there is a burial. A burial takes place. Romans 6 and 4, therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There is a burial in baptism. There is no burial in sprinkling. There is no burial in pouring. But there is a burial in immersion because a person is buried under the water. If you think about it when you have a pet that dies you don't sprinkle water, or excuse me, sprinkle dirt on its head and say, well I got Rover buried. You don't pour a little dirt over Rover's head and say, well I buried Rover. You bury Rover, you put him under, under the ground, see. When you bury a person in baptism they are immersed, they are submerged. There is a burial. In addition, in Colossians 2 and verse 12, if you'll read with me, there is a resurrection arising up from the water in baptism. Paul said, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Just as there's a burial, there is a resurrection. There's there's no resurrection in sprinkling or pouring because there's not been a burial But in immersion there is a burial, and in immersion there is also a resurrection. Now look at this, and notice that immersion is the only thing that meets the requirements of the Bible. The Bible requires water, much water, a going into the water, a burial in water, a resurrection or a rising up from the water, and only immersion out of the three actions fits that particular uh, requirement in the Bible there. It, It meets every requirement that the Bible has. Down in the center there on the left I put some definitions for you I want you to notice. The definition for sprinkle means to scatter in drops. The definition of pour is to turn out in a stream and the definition of immerse is to dip or submerge. So when you when you sprinkle, notice you sprinkle water, you scatter it in drops don't you? And when you pour water you actually just turn it out in a stream. That's the definition of pour. When you immerse of course you you submerge, you dip somebody or submerge them in the water. Down below I put Acts 8 and 38 and the text of it in this little box. Notice the box there in the bottom left. And you'll see Acts 8 and 38, and I underlined the words baptized him, but let's read the verse. He commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now I want you to notice he baptized him. The action is on the person. He baptized him. I want to take these three definitions up here of sprinkle, pour, and immerse and put them in the place of the word baptized. And let's read this passage. The definition of sprinkle means to scatter in drops. So let's use that definition instead of baptized. He commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he scattered him in drops. You don't sprinkle a person, do you? You sprinkle water, see? But He baptized Him. And of course I wouldn't want to be sprinkled, I wouldn't want to be scattered in drops, I hope you don't either. That's a little bit fatal. You don't sprinkle a person, you sprinkle water, but He baptized Him. See the difference? You cannot sprinkle a person, you sprinkle water. But He baptized Him. Let's take the definition of pour it, it means to turn out in a stream. And let's put that definition there in the place of baptized. He commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and He turned him out in a stream. So, you can't pour a person, can you? You can't turn them out in a stream. But you can can immerse somebody. And he, He baptized him, see. You pour water. Here's the point. You pour water, but you baptize people. You sprinkle water, but you baptize people. Take the definition of immerse there, which means to dip or submerge, and let's put that definition there. He commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he dipped him or submerged him. Now, see, that will make sense because you can dip a person or submerge a person. And so the answer to the first question is really simple. You know we we have to wonder where did man come up with the idea ever of sprinkling or pouring because immersion is the only action that fits baptism. What is the action of baptism? It is immersion in water and it requires water and much water and a going into the water and a burial in water and a resurrection from the water. See. Second question, who are the scriptural subjects for baptism? That is, Who can scripturally be baptized? Can just anyone go and be baptized? Ever thought about that? Are there requirements before we're baptized? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible require? Well, there are several requirements. First of all, the Bible teaches that only those who have been taught the Gospel, the Word of God can be baptized. And that's Matthew 28 and 19. Jesus. Told the disciples here, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So Jesus said, You go teach people, and then when you teach them, you baptize them. And no one can be baptized who's not been sufficiently taught. Many people go and have a baptism of some kind, and they've never been taught about what they're doing, they've not been taught about baptism. In many cases, they haven't even been taught about Jesus or the gospel because they try to baptize babies. There's been no teaching, see. But Jesus said to teach them and then baptize them, and we cannot be properly baptized unless we know what baptism's all about, unless we know about Jesus, unless we have been taught about His death, burial, and resurrection and the shedding of His blood. There has to be teaching preceded. Secondly, Only those who believe the Gospel may be baptized. In Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Many people have had a baptism in which they didn't believe before they went through some process that was called baptism. But we must believe the Gospel of Christ before we're baptized, otherwise we'll just get wet if there's no faith. We need to believe in Jesus, in His death, in His burial, in His resurrection, and in the shedding of His blood. Number three, only those who truly repent of their sins can be scripturally baptized. We have to repent before we're baptized. In Acts 2 and 38, on the day of Pentecost, when the Jews asked Peter and the other apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So Peter told them to repent and then to be baptized. We must repent first. If we don't repent we go down into the water a dry center and we come up out of the water a wet center. There's been no change whatsoever. And repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of life. It is a turning from what's wrong to what's right. Right. And unless we repent, the baptism really is is unscriptural because it will not be acceptable to God. We must repent first. And finally, only those who confess Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God, can be scripturally baptized. In Acts 8, we look again at verse 36-38. through And in verse 36, the Bible says, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There's the confession. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So we see a confession here. Now notice, who can be baptized? Those that have been sufficiently taught. Those who believe, those who have repented, those who have confessed their faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, these are people that when they have done this can scripturally be baptized. And when we leave these things off we are not ready for baptism because all these must precede baptism. I would raise the question, is it scriptural to baptize infants? We see a lot of infant baptism practiced today. What does the Bible say? Well, can an infant be taught? Can an infant believe? Can an infant repent of sins even if it had sins? And four, can, a, can an infant confess its faith in Jesus Christ? It can do none of those things. There is absolutely not one reason to ever try to baptize a baby, an infant. They cannot be taught, they cannot believe, they, they cannot repent even if they have sins, and they Cannot make a confession of faith in Jesus. They are not scriptural candidates for baptism. And there are thousands, millions, millions of people that have been baptized as a baby and they don't even remember it. They know nothing about it. Somebody has told them they were. But other than that they have no memory of it. They were not taught anything before they did it. So, they, they, they had no concept even of what they were doing. They did not believe in Jesus. They had no sin to repent of and couldn't repent. They could not make a confession of their faith in Christ. They meet none of the requirements of the Bible. Actually there is nothing more innocent than than an infant, than a child. And they don't need baptism yet. So the second question, who are scriptural subjects of baptism? Those who have been taught, those who believe, those who have repented, and those who have confessed their faith in Jesus as the Son of God. The third question I want to raise, and we could spend a lot of time on this one, and I don't have it to spend, but the question's this, why should a person be baptized? Why? You know, God never commands us to do anything without a reason. He has good reasons for it. So why should a person be baptized? I'm going to give you three reasons out of many others that I could give. First of all, we ought to be baptized because Jesus commanded it, if there were no other reason. That would be sufficient. In Matthew 28 and 19, they're in the Great Commission. Jesus said unto them, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So Jesus commanded people to be taught, and those who had been taught, he commands all of them to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Jesus commands that. Now, question if if the Lord commands baptism, and we fail to obey that, would that be sin? It would be a sin, wouldn't it, if we, if we are commanded to be baptized, and yet we won't do it. In 1 John 3 and 4, the Bible says that, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And if the law of Christ includes being baptized, and there's that commandment, and we fail to obey it, we would sin, would we? The actual rejection of baptism itself is a sin. In Revelation 22 and 14, let's notice who goes to Heaven. The Bible says, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. Who enters in through the gates into the city and eats the tree of life? Those that do His commandments, and one of those commandments is to be baptized. So that's the first reason I would submit that any person ought to be baptized. Jesus commands it. To fail to do it is sin. And if we fail to keep these commandments, we will not enter into the city and eat the tree of life. The second reason, baptism is for the remission of sins. I want you to look on the front down at the bottom. You'll see a little box that has Acts 2 and 38 in it. And let's read that scripture. Baptism is for the remission of sins. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. See that word for? That word for there, if you'll look down in the smaller print right at the end of the verse, that's the Greek word "ice," and we're, we're, we're told there, and I put it in red in brackets. We're told to be baptized for, or ice, the remission of sins. Now, some people think that this word ice, this preposition, means because of, that we're baptized because of remission of sins. And they'll use an argument like this. John was sent to prison for stealing. That is, because of stealing. And so, stealing was the reason John was sent to prison. John was sent to prison for, because of stealing. And so they come to this verse and they'll say, well it says be baptized for the remission of sins. And their argument is we're baptized because we already have remission. Is that the meaning of that word ice? Let me tell you a little personal story at this point. Uh, I was working in McKinney, Texas a few years ago. That's about 50 miles or so north of Dallas. And uh, Brother Marlon Cole, some of you know Marlin, and some don't. But Marlin and I were working together and... We'd been visiting people out in the, the town of McKinney, and Marlin had gone back home. He lived north of there a little ways, and I had a, a room at a local uh, hotel there, so I went to my room, and a lot of times when I travel, I carry a little portable radio with me. And when I got back to the room, it wasn't extremely late, and so I turned radio on, and I picked up a religious program out of Dallas. A man was taking questions from people that would call in, and so as I sat and listened to this fellow there was a, a man called in and uh, he told his story he said I just got out of prison and he said I've been told that uh, according to Acts 238 that I need to be baptized for the remission of sins and the radio host said well no, no you really don't he said that word for there in Acts 238 that that Greek word he said is i-c-i-s and he said that means because of he said you're not baptized in order to have remission of sins. You are baptized because you already have them." He said, "'You don't need baptism in order to be saved." And the guy thanked him and hung up so I picked up the telephone in my room there and I called that 800 number. I got the call screener and uh, he said, "'How can I help you this evening?' I said, "'I just heard the speaker uh, tell a gentleman that called in that this Greek word ice in Acts 2.38 meant because of." And that he didn't need to be baptized in order to have his sins forgiven. And the host, or the call screener said, that's right. And I said, do you have a Bible there with you? He said, yes. I said, would you look at Matthew 26 and verse 28? Now, I put this down here for you, if you'll look at it with me, down here at the bottom center, Matthew 26, 28. Jesus said, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for... The remission of sins. The, the, the call screener read that scripture and he he said yeah, that's dealing with the Lord's Supper. He said, What's your point? I said, Well, look at Matthew 26, 28. I said, that, that word for there is the Greek word ice, just like in Acts 238. And I said, Do you believe that Jesus shed his blood because we already had remission? Or do you believe Jesus shed his blood in order to give us remission? did Jesus die because of remission of sins, because we already had it? Or did Jesus die for or in order to give us remission? He said He died in order to give us remission. I said, that's right. He said, uh, what's your point? I said, well, sir, if you can see that that Christ, uh, that Christ shed His blood in order to give remission, you ought to see that Jesus told us to be baptized here through Peter in order to receive remission of sins. I said the phrase in Acts 2.38 and Matthew 26.28 are the same in Greek and they are the same in English. And whatever for remission of sins means in one, it means in the other. And if in Acts 2.38 it means that we are baptized because of, because we already have remission, then Jesus shed His blood because we already have remission. But I said, if Jesus shed His blood in order to give us remission, then we are to be baptized in order to be given remission. He said, I see your point. I said, are you going to connect me with the, with the host of the show? He said, no. And he hung up on me. And I thought many times about that caller that night, if, if he had let me talk to the host and make these explanations to the host of that show to let that audience hear. Maybe the fellow that called in would have still been on the the radio. Maybe he would have still been listening. Because this host ruined his soul. He told him he didn't have to be baptized in order to have remission of sins. We do. That's what this passage teaches. Jesus shed His blood in order to give us remission. And we are to be baptized in order to have remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's really that simple. The third reason why a person ought to be baptized you'll see in the upper right, and that's in order to get into the death of Christ, in order to get into the death of Christ. Let me say this, baptism itself, water will not wash away your sins. Nothing washes away sin but the blood of Jesus. Look there on the back in Revelation 1 and verse 5 where John speaks of Christ and says from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. What can wash sin away? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We often sing that song. It takes the blood of Christ to wash sin away. The question is, when do we reach the blood? And the answer is, we reach it in the death of Christ when we enter into his death through baptism. Because the Lord shed his blood in his death. Look with me there at John, John chapter 19, verse 30 to 35. John gives us the record of Jesus' death. John said, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true that you might believe. Now here's Jesus on the cross and John says that when he had received the vinegar he said it's finished and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. That means his spirit left his body. He died. The Jews came to Pilate right after that because the next day was a very high Sabbath day and they did not want these bodies on the cross that day. They wanted the bodies of those two thieves and the body of Jesus removed from the cross. So they came to Pilate and asked him to you know, to take care of this. Well, Pilate didn't know if they were dead yet because many times a victim lingered a long time on a cross. Sometimes they suffered hours and sometimes into days. Sometimes they would, uh, they would go into horrible convulsions. It was a horrible death to die. And so the Romans had figured out that, that they could break the legs of these people that were crucified and speed up their death and here's why. When you were crucified and impaled like this, many times the body would sag under the weight of of, of just the body against the nails. And when it did, the lungs would start filling up with fluid. But as much as it hurt because their feet were also nailed, a person could push up with their feet and uh, they could gulp in some air and they could keep breathing that way and last a lot longer. So the Romans would come along and break their legs. Where they couldn't push up with their feet and get that next amount of air that they needed. It kept them from breathing, see? And their lungs would fill up with fluid, and so they would really dr- drown in their own fluid. Kind of like congestive heart failure. So they came out to the crosses there, and they broke the legs of one thief and of the other that was crucified with Jesus. But the, John said when they saw that Jesus was dead already, they break not his legs. One of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and John said, Forthwith came there out blood and water. You see, he already had water in the lungs. His chest had filled up with water. And so when they pierced through his chest cavity up into the heart, the blood that was shed for remission of sins flowed from that side, and water flowed with it. And Jesus shed His blood in His death. Did you notice that? He was dead already? They pierced Him with a spear, and the blood that was shed for our sins was shed in His death. Now, Paul teaches that when we are baptized into His death we reach that blood. This is where sins are forgiven. This is where our sins are, are removed and washed away. Let's read Romans 6 and verse 3 through 7. Paul said, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death." See that is where He shed His blood. "...Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed." that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. So Paul said we're baptized into Christ's death, that we're buried with Him by baptism into death. And just like Jesus was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, we're raised up from baptism to walk in newness of life. This is the new birth. He says if we've been planted in the likeness of His death, we'll be also in the likeness of His resurrection. We'll have life, see. And then he says, our old man, the old person that we were is crucified with him. So in baptism we die with Jesus. The old person that we've been dies. We put that person to death. We die with Christ. Our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed. Sins are destroyed in baptism. We have reached the blood of Jesus. See, He was He shed His blood in His death, we are baptized into His death. And that's where He shed that blood. Look at the diagram there in the upper right. Baptized into His death where He shed that blood, buried with Him by baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. The old man of of sin there is crucified with Him. The body of sin is destroyed. It is in baptism that we have reached the blood. And what washes sin away? The blood of Christ. He shed it in His death, we are baptized into His death. So I've raised the question, why should a person be baptized? One, Christ commanded it. Secondly, it's for the remission of sins. And finally, number three, it is order to get into the death of Christ and to reach His saving blood. And that leaves the fourth question now that I want to raise for us before we close. And that's this simple question, may a person be baptized again? Yes. Oh yes. Yeah, the Bible gives us an example of it, and I want to read that example with you. You see, many people need to have another baptism. Their first baptism, not scriptural. It might have been sprinkling or pouring, and that's not scriptural. It may not have been for remission of sins. That's not scriptural. And so a lot of times people will be rebaptized because they haven't done it right. And we have that example. Look at Acts 18, verse 24 to 26. This takes place in the city of Ephesus in Asia Minor. Now Paul has come through near Ephesus and he dropped off his traveling companions, a husband and wife, a man named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. He left them there at Ephesus. Paul had to go on to Jerusalem. Later he will come back through Ephesus, but he dropped off Aquila and Priscilla there after they left Corinth. And so he drops them there at the end of his second missionary journey and he goes to Jerusalem leaving them there. It so happens that a man, a Jew out of Alexandria is going to come to Ephesus and preach in the synagogue and this Christian couple is going to have a chance to hear them. Let's let uh, Luke tell us about it here in Acts Acts, uh, 18 and notice verse 24. Luke writes that a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of the Lord more perfectly. All right? Let's notice that now. We read of a a certain Jew named Apollos. The Bible says he's born in Alexandria. I'm going to take just a minute... Why does it give us that detail? What what, what is there about Alexandria? Where is Alexandria? It's down in Egypt. What was at Alexandria? Probably the greatest library in the ancient world. Some historians tell us there were probably 20,000 volumes, 20,000 books in that ancient library. This was before printing presses. These were likely scrolls and things. So Alexandria down in Egypt was a great seat of learning, and Apollos had come from Alexandria. What's that tell you? Very smart man. Probably very highly educated. We read there that he was an eloquent man. I would have loved to have heard Apollos preach, wouldn't you? I mean, you talk about smooth. He would have just been, the words would have just flowed off his tongue. An eloquent man, it says. And then he's mighty in the scriptures. The only scriptures we had then was the Old Testament, and so, He knew some things out of the Old Testament scriptures, probably regarding uh, the Christ and everything, but he may not have known about Jesus like he should. So he's eloquent, mighty in the scriptures. He comes to Ephesus. It says he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but he knew only the baptism of John. Now John's baptism was fine in its day. John's baptism was strictly for Israel, by the way, never for Gentiles. It was a baptism for Israel to call them to repentance so that when the Messiah came they would be uh, repented and, and able to receive Him. John's baptism ended at the cross right here. After the cross we have the baptism of the Great Commission that Jesus gave us. It's a baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost for the remission of sins. John's baptism was not administered in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost and so it was a different baptism than the great commission. When John baptized, he taught people to believe on the Christ that was yet to come. When we baptize, we teach people to believe on the Christ who's already come. See? Our faith looks backward to the cross. Their faith was looking forward to the coming of Christ. The faith in John's baptism looked forward to the Messiah. Our faith looks backward. There's a big difference in these baptisms. And John's baptism had ceased, and that's all Apollos knows. Apollos is like a lot of preachers. He knew just enough to be dangerous. So he came to Ephesus preaching John's baptism after John's baptism had ceased, after it was no longer valid. And he probably made some disciples. And the reason I say that is because when we come over into Acts 19, come over there with me to verse 1, we start reading about Paul finding disciples there. Now, when Apollos finished up at Ephesus, he went on over to Corinth. So the Bible tells us in Acts 19, 1, it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Under what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about 12. Let's analyze this. Paul has come to Ephesus. This is where Apollos just left, and he's been preaching John's baptism. So finding certain disciples, Paul asked these men, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we hadn't even heard of the Holy Ghost. Now that told Paul right then, something's wrong with their baptism, because baptism is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and they hadn't even heard of the Holy Ghost. See, they've had John's baptism, and it wasn't administered in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So immediately, red flags come up, and Paul knows they've had the wrong baptism here. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? They said, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said unto them, "Under what then were you baptized? What kind of baptism you men have? They said, we've had John's baptism. Well, Paul told them John baptized, all right, with a baptism of repentance, and told people to believe on him that should come after him, not on Christ. And so the Bible says when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul rebaptized these 12 men there at Ephesus because they had had the wrong baptism. I raised the question can a person be baptized again? Yes. Here is an apostolic example of it in Acts 19 verses 1 to 7, where 12 men were rebaptized because their baptism was no longer valid or not scriptural. And Paul baptized them again. And I have listed for you about seven things here I want you to notice. All people should be baptized again if, number one, they've received sprinkling or pouring. And there are multiplied millions out here today that have had sprinkling and pouring. They need to be immersed. They need to be immersed. Number two, they need to be rebaptized or baptized again if they were not sufficiently taught. We've seen a person must be taught. They must know what they're doing. Many people have had a baptism where they they really didn't even understand what they were doing. They just knew it might be the right thing to do, and they were told they should, and they went and did it, but they had no teaching before they did it. Number three, if they did not believe the gospel, they should be baptized again. Of course, an infant can't believe the gospel before they're baptized. Number four, if they did not fully repent. If they didn't repent, they just got wet. They went into the water, as I said, a dry center, and they came up a wet center, but there'd been no change. If we have not repented, we ought to be baptized again. Number five, if they did not confess Jesus Christ, they should be baptized again. Number six, if they were baptized but not to be saved. Many people have a baptism not for not for salvation because they have been taught they're already saved. In other words, A lot of people invite Jesus into their heart to be their personal Savior. They are told that they are saved right then and then maybe a week later or whenever they will take them and baptize them. What are they baptizing them for? Not for salvation because they taught them they were saved already when they invited Jesus into their heart. See, They are being baptized usually to put them into a, a local church of some kind and not for the purpose of salvation. If your baptism was not for the purpose of being saved, of having remission of your sins, you should be baptized again. And finally, number seven, a person ought to be baptized again if they have any doubt that it was valid, any doubt whatsoever, because it's so easily taken care of. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook.